for taking your time uh, to speak to us. Um, uh, actually, we've been uh, uh, just to kind of uh, give you a brief background about what we do and why we're doing this. So uh, we we are an e we basically build tools for e-commerce, and uh, we we now have uh, stores in over eighty countries, thousands of stores using us. Uh, yeah, so we we've been uh, working with uh, quite a few stores, and what we've realized is that everybody has a unique story, uh, and there's a lot to learn. So rather than blowing our own trumpet on our uh, marketing website so if you go to conigal.com uh, actually what you see is just like a feed of uh, strategies and tactics uh, that we've learned from various brands and we just share them rather than talking about how cool our software is um, and because we feel that even if somebody uh, ends up uh, viewing the website for a few like minutes uh, they should go away with something useful that they can use in their business uh, to kind of essentially this is what the reason why we exist the mission is to help uh, businesses improve their profit margins and make more money right so uh, in in that endeavor what we realized is that uh, we could reach out to folks and um, have conversations and then share those conversations with our audience of like tens of thousands of uh, folks who visit our uh, website all the time and maybe we can offer them even more insightful content so that's the goal um so just to begin like if you could share what you've been doing so far um and where you are what you're working on currently uh would yeah, set the context yeah. yeah definitely and and you guys are based in singapore as most of your audience um singaporean or are you kind of in, in various markets so we are in 80 80 plus countries now uh oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, a lot of our customers are in the U.S. More than thirty percent. So awesome. Yeah. So so on me. So um, predominantly, my experience is all really food and beverage, FMCG. A brief after a brief stint in um, retail, I joined Mondelez on their marketing and sales graduate scheme. So for a, sort of around five years, I was based in London with Mondelez doing. Um, traditional sort of marketing and sales um, and revenue planning roles. Um, it was only when I moved markets to Southeast Asia that I got uh, more involved with the e-commerce and the digital marketing side. So I um, yeah moved to Southeast Asia to lead the e-com business uh, for Mondelez Malaysia and Singapore. Um, that was about two and a bit years ago now. Um, so anything sort of e-commerce sales, you know, commercials, pricing, forecasting, but also led the marketing strategy so innovation um search um content and social media marketing um, for them more recently i was really inspired by the purpose of what if foods and i uh, joined them and uh, this january so it's a much smaller um and a, a much younger company um but i'm on their commercial team and i i'm my one of my main remit remits really is to manage the website so direct consumer sales lead um looking on the site how do we improve the user experience the conversion but also off-site uh, driving traffic you know social media marketing what's our mix what platforms we're on search engine optimization um kind of like organic search and then also search engine marketing and then um email marketing so once we get people on the site how do we get them on the newsletter or to sign up to our emailer program and then how do we set up um 
kind of high conversion emailer flows. So that's that's I'm currently with What If Foods now doing that, but um, that's a bit of a whistle stop tour for my experience. Uh, I'm already like pretty excited because there's so much to talk about. Uh, because you've you you've uh, you've worked across almost every aspect of like building an e-commerce business. So it's pretty cool, and I'm so just to uh, like some quick. Uh, as I would say, okay. So you you spoke about like uh, like you said that you were inspired by the mission of What If Foods. So uh, just for our audience, so what does What If Foods do, and why did it inspire you so much? Um. So what we do, I'll give you the what, the how, and then the why. And the mm. why is a bit really inspiring. What we do is we sell. Um, foods really high protein high fiber nutritious foods we we sell plant-based milk and noodles how we do that is we work in partnership with farmers in northern africa um so it's truly like a people-based community um kind of approach to supply chain and 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 partners with these with partnering with these growers um and the why we do it is the main ingredient of our products is what's called a bam nut and this bam nut is regenerative, which means it gives back more to the planet than it takes away. So it actually restores the soil, regenerates the soil. So it's a we call ourselves not a plant based food company, but a planet based food company. So hopefully it's really an answer to the climate crisis that we're dealing with and um, and a way to save save our soils. So I, I, I actually found uh, this company at a vegan fair in Kuala Lumpur. And I thought I've got to work for them. So I was badgering them since for a job and, and I joined them, yeah, this January. But hopefully that gives you a little bit more. But it's, again, it's a food and beverage company, um, ultimately what we're doing. So, um, yeah. The reason I, I asked you this is because I actually um, have, uh, essentially I've eaten your products at What If. Oh, that uh, makes me happy. And the first time I discovered them was in my kitchen, so that my wife bought them. So, so that's why it's it's pretty, and that's one of the reasons, right? Like why I love my job so much is because uh, these are the things that we see, we consume, we eat, uh, we use, and then we have the opportunity to help or work or, in this case, now talk to people behind these brands. Um, so pretty cool. Um, and, I'm happy uh, to hear that. Go your wife for finding us. I, I, I honestly, it, it's it's hard to find companies that are like are truly doing good. And I know there's a lot of kind of greenwashing out there. And obviously there are companies also doing great work. But um, that was why I was so, it's my, my head was turned with what if, because it's like a company that really um, talks the talks and talks the talk and walks the walk. So I'm glad, glad that you tasted our products. Did you, did you enjoy them? Uh, yeah. 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 There great was. News. Uh, you, I think the biggest, uh, I think, in, and this is something which is very important, right? Like we can uh, go a bit deeper into this as well, right? Uh, so for products like yours, where you're using, a, essentially you're building, like, so basically you're competing with standard, uh, like say, for example, noodles, uh, mm. uh, but you your ingredients are healthier and better for the environment. Now, in this case, the, the biggest uh, win I feel uh, is that when consumers who eat your product are not able to kind of distinguish whether it was done is, is some other product or like is the old kind of ingredients or this new. I think that mm. is, in fact, is one of a very big win that these brands have to actually uh, like or this 
this thing like this lever of thought process in people's minds that yeah it's like it's the same right or better whatever so you don't even and, need to be better you just need to not be different in a way and, and i feel like when i was reflecting coming to this conversation on digital marketing and e-commerce i think that what's so exciting about the rise of e-com and digital is that it gives different voices a chance and smaller brands a chance and you know it gives more opportunity in my book for disruption in the market because it's not the same rules of the game of in-store where you have certain big um, manufacturers that are really you know as i say embed with the you know the, the the customer and then they they have a massive share of shelf it actually suddenly gives opportunity for anyone frankly to um, shake up the market and to be able to communicate your brand story uh, for uh, much less. You don't have to, you know, buy TV rights anymore. If you're a small brand, you can set up an Instagram account for free. You can set up a TikTok for free. You can look at creating content in your kitchen, you know. So that's what I find really cool about e-com and what kind of sets my soul alight with it. Um, but particularly for a brand like us, that we've got a lot to say and we've got a really rich story to talk about. So how we can get that across so much better on e-commerce than we can at a shelf edge when consumers have two seconds when they're shopping in the grocery aisle. But yeah. So just just a quick, uh, like if you could like kind of explain this, like you, you spoke about share of shelf. Um, this is something that a lot of folks in retail talk about. Uh, and in e-commerce, essentially, there isn't any shelf. Uh, so... Uh, how does this so just to for our audience right like so yeah you kind of uh uh essentially what is a share of shelf and then we can figure out how does it relate to e-commerce yeah no i think it's a great point because i always try to think of the digital shelf and it's funny that you say there isn't a shelf i say there is a shelf but i say so in terms of the typical kind of rules of the game bricks and mortar store it, we all know the experience you walk down the aisle the closer you are to the front of the store the better your visibility and you you know your feature is for your, the more you're in the shopper's mind um and from my experience previously in chocolate we're very impulsive category so we want to be right by the till or right by the front of the store because you might have not gone into that store wanting to buy chocolate but you see it and think oh do you know what why not so it's all about the best feature in the store. And then when you get to the shelf, let's say you are shopping, in our example, the noodles bay, you go to noodles, you've got it on your shopping list, you need it. And then you're looking and, you know, if I see a bay of products, I'd say share of shelf is what percentage does my brand take up of that shelf? So in the noodles um, aisle, let's say there's three bays and we've got, you know, 10% of the kind of facings, that's my share of shelf, which in traditional FMCG is like how you want to win. And we want a brand block. So our packaging looks amazing. You can't miss us. Um, you see some amazing examples of that, I think, in the market, like shocking colors or, you know, colors that you then become really synonymous when you, you can't miss Coca-Cola. You go to the uh, beverage aisle, you're going to see Coca-Cola, shocking red. You can't miss it. Um, what is the difference with e-commerce is that whole kind of rules of the game is shaken up because one the shelf is sort of endless particularly if you have um, an e-commerce platform like an amazon shopee lazada like these big marketplaces that shelf can be hundreds thousands of SKUs. so you're not limited to one bay in a store you're suddenly it's unlimited and then that shelf in my opinion is to do with search ranking 
So when someone types noodles, or depending what you know e-commerce platform they're they're typing into the search bar, it will be a very different thing they type. They might be typing gifts for kids, or they might be typing noodles, depending what the shopper mission is. But when they type that, let's say noodles, whoever is ranking most highly on that search has the it is in the winning position. And I think when you look at a desktop, someone sat on their computer, they type in noodles, they maybe would look at the top 10 that they'd see and then go, right, what's the rest price? If they're on mobile, which most of us now are, majority of sales on e-commerce on mobile, that's probably looking at the top four, top three. I mean, that is staggering. It's so competitive. Wow. Um, so it's everything about um, the search ranking. That's what I would call the digital shelf. And, and then, how you win that algorithm, it depends on the site, but it's pretty similar, is to do with your volume of sales, your promotion, your keywords, um, your keywords and your titles and descriptions, how well they match the the the, the initial search, um, and also your availability. If you go out of stock, even for a week, um, you get completely dropped down the rankings and you've got to work your way all the way back up. So it's a very interesting um kind of dynamic on econ but i'd still say that that would be the shelf but the share of shelf is then about that search ranking and how high you can get up it um so, yeah so that's 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 an interesting uh point that you bring up because uh essentially so if we try to understand that uh what you are essentially talking about is that share of shelf in the traditional retail offline is essentially share of voice right on yeah. on, on digital right yeah uh, and the so Another aspect that you spoke about just now is that if you um, like essentially when you are fighting for the same keywords, essentially people are searching for noodles and then they need nobody is searching like ideal case scenario. People are searching for what if noodles, right? Like that's when you when you know that your brand like is known out there and you you people are just looking for you. Uh, and then obviously you have competitors then like saying, okay, what if alternatives? <laughs> so that's a good place to be in. But when you're starting a new brand and you're like kind of uh, fighting the incumbents, uh, any any insights that you've found or like one of what is the most important thing you can do when you're yes. fighting in category and you're trying to position as an alternative to definitely i think it's a great point because a brand like ours has relatively very low brand awareness and penetration today so typically people don't know what a bam nut is to type in bam nut milk or who what if are to type in what if so we are then thinking of firstly what are the high volume search words or terms and then looking at that kind of volume versus the relevancy for our brand because you don't want to annoy consumers and let's say the highest volume is i don't know oranges who cares you don't want to i don't want to be ranking with oranges because then someone sees and goes why the hell is that there so how do you get that sweet spot with a matrix of relevancy and search volume and looking at keywords search terms and phrases not just obviously branded we want to win we want to win what if and bam not but I mean, I can tell you now we are, we do win them because there's a small pool and, and we're ranking highly naturally. So then looking at a good combination of competitor keywords, category keywords, and just really understanding your category and your competitive set, like who are the big players who are ranking at the moment? I mean, an example, 
of a kind of organic, like uh, a way that we've done this with our BAM nut milk, we know in our category of plant-based milk, oat milk and almond milk are the biggest growing categories. Um, so in my descriptions on uh, SEO, so on Google, if people are typing, or on our blogs, on our website, um, or in, if we're on Amazon, we make sure in our descriptions, we have it very clearly stated that, you know, we've got 20 times less water use than almond milk. That is a very good fact and a good KPI of our brand. But then I'm then packing almond milk into my description. So I'm hoping to then rank more highly on those searches for almond milk or our credentials versus oat milk. You know, we've got more protein, more fiber. Then we are still going oat milk in our description. So then the algorithm is then hopefully picking up um, when someone's typing into Google or into Amazon for oat or almond. That's a way we can... Um, hopefully rank more organically. I mean, it's free to do this um, more organically higher in the search ranking um, on the search engine. Um, and then we're also looking really at another free way to do this on our website. So your direct consumer website is looking at kind of blog posts and recipes. What what are people searching for on Google? Um, and again, any, anyone can do this for free. If you type on Google, um, anything that's relative relevant to your category and then look at people also searched it just gives you so much insight so if i type in oat milk i will then see google say people also search for it. it'll give me like 10 things what's you know and i can then take these keyword search terms that people clearly care about and then lace them into my website let's say the one thing people are always searching for is um what you know what plant-based milk is healthier then I just need to be making blogs. What plant-based milk is healthier? And give some answers. Hopefully then we're going to get some natural organic traffic to our website. Um, so yeah, all about kind of keywords, terms. Um, what will people be searching on different platforms? In an e-commerce world, that's very different on Amazon than it is on Google, um, than it is on Pandemart. Um, and then how do you win those based on um, what's relevant for your brand and what you could potentially like, um, yeah, play, play with. Um, I find the whole the keyword search stuff so interesting. It's it's yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, we we we've we've actually built our entire business on SEO, uh, and uh, uh, and so we are in the business of helping make e-commerce stores profit more profitable. Right, we help them make more money. Uh, and what we realized that if you look at search volumes, like so, this is how people think, right? people are not thinking about so if you see the search volume for how to increase sales versus how to increase profits how to increase sales is seven times more than how to increase profits while people should be searching about how to increase profits there's no point having a a website or a business that makes a lot of sales and you make no money right and that's that's like the shocking truth right and we are in the business of providing uh, a solution that helps people make more money on e-commerce so it was very difficult so that's where we we've, we've kind of developed this internal methodology which we call as uh like profitable niche targeting so what we do is like just like what you what you what you're saying is right like uh, if somebody else is searching more about oat milk uh yeah. then, then like bam nut milk then essentially uh write about oat milk get more viewers and then say hey by the way here's a better alternative to even oat better yeah. than, right and our top five uh like because listicles also do quite well so top five like plant-based alternatives to milk right and you position yourself there i mean this is the only way you can kind of get visibility i mean at the end of the day and yeah uh but it, it takes time but 
yeah eventually we were able to get to a point where now we increase our traffic uh, very every few weeks uh, we almost like double so it's quite good uh, but, but, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah you just have to be a bit creative around how you position yourself uh, i think another cool thing that like came out from like your initial like when you spoke about that you focus on like seo and sem right like um and i think for our audience like a uh it would be good if you could like kind of explain like simply like what do you mean by seo versus sem number one seo i think people would understand by now with all the discussion we just had on keywords and like essentially to organically kind of find better ways or to rank in google uh sem and then um like typically how much so you focus on both as a brand and then how much effort you kind of put on sem versus seo i i'd say so so just for the context search engine optimization um it's more looking at organic so unpaid ways you can make your site better set up for google search i have to caveat with all of this i'm no expert and we work with a really great agency that helps us with both our seo and sem um so please take this in um in layman's terms from me so the seo side is more in my book the free unpaid way of putting more relevant keywords into your um descriptions your meta descriptions your you know on your site in your blog you know everywhere so that you can rank more highly organically on the search engine so you'll see that when you type anything into google what kind of websites get fed based on relevancy that's how you that's what i'm talking with seo when we talk about search engine marketing that is when you type you know uh, plant-based milk into google and you'll see at the very top a banner of um shoppable um product display pictures with prices so that is what i'm talking about paying per bid pay per click for um for search engine marketing so it's paid advertising like a, any any kind of other kind of paid campaign but specifically in a search engine context does that help with a bit of context in terms of what we do i mean look we're we're new so we're trying everything and my big takeaway with e-commerce try fail try everything but with search engine optimization this is much more of a marathon whereas marketing search engine marketing we, we want to be much more of a sprint it's much more tactical obviously it's more conversion-led um so seo i think it just takes a lot of work and a lot of patience whereas sem we need to quite quickly look at how we optimize these campaigns they're expensive um and it's hard to break even off the bat with a campaign particularly with the brand of our kind of youth and you know brand awareness as i say so um we're just really quite quickly seeing how we can optimize these campaigns particularly by omitting keywords that aren't performing i think with search engine marketing we focus so much on what keywords we want to have in there and you know and actually the power of the optimization is get rid of the ones that are not firing and that just draining costs for you um so that is is that is that well well enough summed up would you say from your side uh yeah yeah just so just to just to like summarize what you just said like essentially seo is when you are trying to get free traffic to your website and yeah. essentially uh, and sem is when you basically uh pay money to get people on your website i mean in a nutshell uh, i mean yeah. you would be but you would be paying the caveat being that you would be paying like in your case you're paying an agency to do both but it's essentially you're not paying people to run ads on on yeah. on on keywords 
now this is a very interesting question here right like so um, when because this is something that a lot of people may encounter um, like for example in your case like say you're running there's this keyword called bamnet uh, bamnet milk and you essentially ideally want to be number one ranked for bamnet right because that's your brand uh, now you you are putting an effort on seo to kind of organically rank and then you may also in the short term like kind of decide okay we want to just make sure that all bamnet traffic comes to us so we also run ads so in this case are you cannibalizing your organic traffic or how do you think about it um i think bamnet is a great example because organically we rank so highly i do think it would be cannibalizing to be seriously investing behind sem in that context however then that's when you look at this point on volume relevancy and your search ranking and i think you'd want to invest a lot harder in my opinion like we're looking much more like competitor keywords on on sem to invest behind because we know there's more traffic and therefore it's also uh, like you say less um much less cannibalizing i think it's something to be really aware of like how do you rank currently what would consumers see currently if they typed in bamnut therefore should that be in your paid campaign um the only difference i would say is just a caveat when i'm talking about these search engine marketing um shoppable um kind of like say product displays it's a lot more conversion based whereas like if you typed in bam into google right now maybe you have our website you can't click to check out so again i do i do want to keep that in the campaign but um you have to watch so we're not cannibalizing and i think overall just really take a step back and be thinking about what is the size of prize for consumers searching various keyword search terms because you can have the best conversion and return on ad spend on the keyword bam nut but if you're doing like four conversions because no one's searching it then honestly you know what's the point how can you help possibly drive scale behind that campaign so yeah bit of a politician's answer but um i think it's good to be thinking about cannibalization with these things for sure uh this is quite interesting because <laughs> uh this is what we do so all the time so it's it's quite uh, cool to be able to get your opinion on this just like one final question on seo and sem before we move on uh, to the other questions so let's take this uh uh so yeah so what we've seen is that <clears throat> when you build like organic content and you get people on your website uh and say they read a blog post and they kind of understand uh the why behind what right behind what you're selling uh and they eventually if they end up buying uh they tend to be like high ltv customers ltv means like my lifetime value right for our audience now uh the case with running ads because so so actually what we did was we did a uh uh data um, we did a data study on like um, approximately like uh, 1.2 million online stores uh, and uh, uh we realized that like essentially after that uh, what we what we came to know was that less than 20% of people so a customer who buys from you today uh let's say 100 customers buy today less than 20 actually place a second order on any e-commerce website on an average mm. and, and less than 0.2% people actually place a 10th order so uh this so when you when you push people through um a high conversion like say a shoppable ad yeah and they place Less an order you, yeah and anyways you're not making like most people actually lose money on their first order uh 
so then where does the uh, like kind of value go like in the long term right if people are coming reading your blog understanding why bam nuts are important why they are important they they become a convert and they end up like essentially being very high value long term customers versus somebody is looking for a pack of noodles and they say okay there's something i just clicked and bought for them they don't know your story they don't understand so what is it that a brand can do like either they decide like they focus purely on the long term like some something like what we did uh or in case of e-commerce where you need to kind of balance the now and the tomorrow right because i said yeah seo is like a long term game that you play um so how do you think about these these things i think it's hard because i think it massively depends on the category that you're playing in mhm because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, typically grocery, food and beverage. I mean, e-commerce, we're still very like e-commerce. We're, we're lagging in e-commerce for grocery compared to other categories such as, you know, apparel, electronics, higher value items. So most people, when they want a pack of milk, for example, they would just walk to their corner shop on the way home. And it's a very like sub, uh, what's that, you know, what the word, unconscious impulse driven purchase behavior and shopping behavior so i do think to get any scale if you are in food and beverage you need to be going for these kind of high conversion paid swimming in these pools where people are shopping i'm in a shopping mindset i want milk um so it, it, i think it would be a very different strategy if i was building a brand that was more beauty apparel you know premium um but in grocery you kind of got to be you know fishing where people you know are interested to actually consume i just don't see i think with seo it's uh, it, it's so the right idea on looking at lifetime value and lo- like the longer term brand build but i just would worry that this approach would just be too slow for anyone's growth target so having that perfect kind of balance of the organic piece trying to get those real mega fans lifetime value customers but also snatching share where you can on like the paid type you know share of voice and being being in it to win it where people actually are shopping your categories um but yeah i think i think food and beverage in e-com is 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 quite a, a different a different and tricky beast honestly just based on how we all typically shop um but yeah does that answer your question i don't know what your thoughts are uh yeah so i think uh, from our experience so we've got like fnb customers on our platform um, like fnb brands uh, uh, and essentially what we've seen work for them because as you rightly mentioned that they are in this like uh, they have to target these one and done customers essentially uh, so what we've seen work typically is like so we've got a tool on our platform which is like an ltv booster essentially what we do is there like we automate the process of second second time so essentially what happens anybody places an order then there is a coupon that goes out for mm. the purchase which is a discount so you are actually like pushing and what we've seen is that customers have like brands have increased like on an average like around 2.5 to 4x the lifetime value of their customers because otherwise most of their customers never buy again with this and and the likelihood if you place a second order what we've seen your likelihood increases by almost like 50 to 60% of people placing at least five orders. So I think it's a great point as well because I'm really talking kind of more top of the funnel and like what we're doing with our spend and driving traffic in but how do you create um repeat purchase by like you say coupon what do you send with the 
what do you uh, both advocacy and loyalty like how do you then send let's say with your parcel something of like share to a friend or refer a friend and get this perk share to your story and get this perk um you can do it through some great like yacht pro style kind of loyalty schemes nowadays but also email and marketing like carbio um retargeting consumers um to get them back in it, obviously it's a lot less costly than than fishing them in the first place so i i think a balance of seo and sem or like kind of organic and paid at the top um to get them over and then being really fierce as you say of driving repeat purchase yeah. whether that be through emailers coupons but whatnot and, and and really referrals i think with a brand like us and our story i think the strongest marketing machine will be um through word of mouth you know people who actually want to have a rich discussion on what we're doing for the planet and people and everything so you know that is more powerful than any um paperclip campaign or digital campaign that we could run so um i think it's a really good point i think yeah so i mean almost like so this this referral thing and people word of mouth to make this word of mouth like kind of um work in a like predictable manner i would not even think about scale uh what we've seen is like it's almost to the point where you need to essentially send people t-shirts with your brand <laughs> where people wear them and more because nobody actually goes and refers uh it's it's very it's it's very it's very rare uh, that brands are able to kind of get this uh, motion working of where people are going and talking about it all the time. Um, um, and and the only predictable way is that have these t-shirts and people walking and then people know what is this, right? Like, I mean, that's where the whole uh, angle that we've seen work um, most of the times. I think I think it depends on your market, and I yeah we're definitely looking at merchandise. We we've already launched some kind of tote bags that have our brand over them. So I mean they're kind of I say walking billboards about what, you know what we're doing. But um, we're really trying to tackle Generation you know Gen Z, who all the studies shows are so much more politically engaged. They're more engaged with social you know justice issues, climate issues, and we hope that therefore that kind of like Oh, like it's it, this like new school way of thinking is a lot more radical and they really do care about brands um doing um you know doing doing work for good so i'm hoping that we if we can really um ignite that pool of like that cohort that it might challenge what you're saying but i think ultimately you're right Justin, because he was asked, we're all simple, we're all on autopilot, and it's it's rare to have these types of discussions in a scalable, like you say, predictable manner where I can kind of forecast against it. But and we are hoping if we really tackle the Gen Z that and, and really help communicate our message, um, that we might be able to start a bit of a groundswell movement of advocacy and, and word of mouth. But yeah, maybe I don't know, let well, we'll keep you posted how it goes on. In the meantime, yes to t-shirts, yes to merch. It's a good point. Uh, and I think uh, just uh quick uh, like insight that we discovered um, like so eventually if you're targeting millennials which are basically the biggest uh, cohort that buys online at the moment uh, by numbers uh, the foremost tactic that has worked for them uh, to, to make them buy is essentially fear of missing out FOMO. Uh, with Gen Z it slightly becomes a bit uh, complex because we a we don't have like real data around this at the moment uh, because they're like still a very uh, young cohort in terms of the purchasing uh, ability uh, 
but you're right like they are very politically inclined and they they love causes i think that is something that is very apparent that they love causes and they try to back those causes so yeah maybe and yeah what, what i what i read yesterday on gen z in a study was about um they really ask why they really are intrigued they want to dig into the depths of you know what brands are up to so um it i found it interesting that it said in a stat yesterday that it's not actually that gen z is shopping more online but what they do a lot of is cross comparison so they want to look online read up read into then maybe they purchase in store or vice versa so i thought that was an interesting trend i i thought i'd be reading gen z only shop online that's all they do no they want to see actual product they want showrooms they, they they just seem to be a much more intrigued and kind of group that will question question status quo question trends whereas i think millennial we're more fomo because we follow the tribe gen z are much more kind of original and, and saying you know I, I don't care about trends i'm, I'm questioning the why and, and and really challenging brands for the why of what what they're doing and how they're doing it so it's a, it's a cool time. It will be an interesting space to see how it kind of develops. In fact, anecdotal evidence from our organization that uh, we usually find all Gen Z folks in our company uh, finding like, oh, where's the cheapest deals? Uh, why oat milk is better than X? Uh, they'll come and advocate all of this. And I think that also kind of uh, points to the fact that eventually they're entering the workforce. So they are most likely the people with the least disposable income. So, so they are less likely to succumb to FOMO uh, and do this price comparison and like reason out a bit. And the and the other thing is they they okay they've lived in you know through tech and COVID and everything. They are also the first cohort to question. Wait, why am I living in a city when I can't afford the rent? And they're the first cohort that are then leaving these big cities. And similarly with jobs and questioning careers. It's less like, oh, everyone does this. I've got to do this out of uni or whatnot. I'm even going to uni. They're questioning, but why? But why? But why? And and, and even looking, I saw the quote uh, the other day, like, what is your dream job? I don't dream of work. You know, they they really are kind of going against the grain. So it, it, it it's so interesting to see. But um, yeah, it's going to be a completely different space as this as they become to have even more purchasing power in the market um, and in and, and like you say in the workforce. So. And it's and I think me for sure. yeah, and I think this discussion with you now makes me think that uh, actually Gen Z could be a cohort for brands, especially young brands, who can become their mouthpiece faster than essentially millennials. So maybe yeah, uh, that could be one way to grow your brand. Yeah, we hope we hope so for sure. We hope yeah. so. Cool. So uh, just to like kind of so. This is something that we usually ask everyone uh, on this on this podcast is like, so we all know that like for what makes people or brands or businesses successful is like highly contextual. I mean, uh, but surely there are lessons that things that don't work, right? So what are the three biggest like things that you think surely don't work when you want to build like a profitable e-commerce business? Um. Things that don't work. I'd say the point on like don't work and making mistakes. The thing, the only thing you can do wrong is not basically adopting um, a, an approach of like how do we fail fast? If you're mm -hmm. being saved and you're not trying, then you're failing. Like I think the whole point on mistakes and like failing, failing. You should be failing consistently 
you can't take a stagnant approach to anything. You can't ever have an arrogance that we know because every time, every minute tech's changing and there's new features and there's new, you know, cohorts coming through. And I think the biggest mistake you can make is not taking risks. And if you can on any, in an e-commerce space, just take a super humble approach. Like, I don't know anything. I'm learning every day, literally. And then having kind of like an organized framework to ongoing evaluation, improvement, um, looking for marginal gains um, and just trialing new features, new vouchers, new decisions with your marketing mix um, and just basically failing fast is my biggest thing in e-com. I think it's um, it's a misunderstood space because I think it's re either revered by people thinking, oh, it's all a bit techy and scary. And I certainly have an imposter syndrome. People go, oh, you're in e-com. I, I don't really think I am. I don't think I know that much. But I think ultimately the point is if you just sort of roll your sleeves up and, and then really approach it of, we're going to trial everything, but we're going to be really strict on what works, what doesn't, and then um, really quickly stop what's not working, do more of what is, and kind of continue like that would be my biggest takeaway. So, um, yeah, so that's one. Uh, we're hoping for two more. Two more, okay. Um, do not take the traditional approach to stock forecasting availability. Availability is king. Almost you don't bother. You can do all the get all the traffic in. You can do all the great you know, Lazada 11.11 deals or promo or mix, if you can't get stock, then you're just going to harm your search ranking. So looking at that, like, it's only going to get leaner. It's only going to get more just in time. You ne we need a really um, e-com first approach to availability and stock uh, management. And my third one then would be in e-com, don't need to be so curated and safe with content. It's, it should be a marketer's dream. You don't need a big budget. You don't need a shoot. You don't. You can literally. Pe people can't grab the product like they can on shelf. So I see people who do for free on you know small time players on Lazada, Shopee, ranking so highly because you go in. They've got twenty images. They can show you the product in all these different types of ways. They can show how that relatively looks. Show it with people. You can. Anyone can do this with a with a, with an iPhone. So I think. That, that would be a mistake that brands make and i felt that would be with a big big brand we really want to be beautiful and the color tones and actually consumers particularly the younger consumers millennials gen z's they want authenticity so just keep it chilled keep it don't need to be you know curated be gung-ho um with your content um particularly your visual content films and uh, and and videos tiktoks instagram whatever you're doing it doesn't need to be super brandy i think people don't want to feel like it's super brandy so that be my, my my third mistake cool so just to summarize what you said uh number one uh fail fast uh yeah be humble try things number two uh you 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 see that people make uh like huge mistake in terms of uh trying to be perfect right when in their images and stuff rather than being authentic and just like having more of it so more of content is better than like having less and like perfect yeah uh, so, so and finally stock management don't underestimate the power of availability and stock management right so it's better to err on the side of having more stock than less essentially right? definitely definitely yeah. so cool so just on this uh, just a follow-up question on the first point that you brought up that we we usually like kind of talk about this right uh, a lot in terms of like okay let's uh, let's fail fast let's fail fast let's let's have this so if say we are running like an 
promotion or a campaign or like some initiative inside the company right so according to you like how do you decide on what is the maximum time limit that you will invest on it like how do you decide on time it's look it's so it's so contextual to whatever the piece is and we know with a lot of like particular digital marketing campaigns the longer you run them the more they can optimize and you let the the ai do the work you know so it definitely depends but i think being really clear and holding hands with your team on what is the time frame what data do we have at our disposal what what is the kind of the parameters and guardrails of what 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 does good look like is really important and then i don't think it's about setting a time like we've got to stop here but it's more like having regular check-ins as a team to say is this delivering against what we wanted it to deliver and having that kind of real like agile mindset of lots of small kind of um alignments and meetings on you know basically re reviewing what you're doing it why why you're doing it particularly in terms of mix and investment um so yeah much more agile approach than saying let's run this and come back in six months but actually i'd be saying weekly how is that performing checking in can we make improvements you know can we optimize um would be the way that certainly that i've approached it with teams cool 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 so uh, in terms of like uh like brand building right there are a lot of like uh, myths around brand building right um, yeah so any myths that you think uh, or like essentially we call this like uh, is there any myth that you would like to bust here like like this is like completely false but my my myth which i slightly alluded to is that i think there's a myth that people think that e-commerce and digital marketing but particularly e-commerce is super sexy and super swish and it's like this kind of kind of sexy crazy like techy thing i just find it really funny because i think working in e-commerce my own experience is like it's like the wild west it's like really entrepreneurial it's really like quick and dirty like you you just have to um kind of really look at the basics like keyword search terms i mean that sounds swish it's not it's like digging in is the it's quite boring really sifting through doing doing the work it's i think that's my biggest myth i like to bust and people say oh e-commerce that's so i'm like no no no. it's not it's roll your sleeves up act like an entrepreneur and just and, and just get messy in the process so um that that's one myth i always try to bust cool cool so brand building is not about uh fancy uh campaigns or like just sitting on a chair and like thinking about the future it's about getting your hands dirty right like rolling your sleeves and getting your hands dirty yeah and i and i think i think the reason i say that is i think some brands or people can be a bit intimidated by e-com sometimes i think but i don't think it can be ignored so if you want to build your brand you need to have good e-com presence you don't need a huge budget to do it but like strong content online a, a website or at least digital presence that really represent who your brand is i think don't be intimidated it's not sexy and techy and swish it is get your hands dirty and um it's super accessible so that would be my my kind of thing in terms of if you want to build your brand you, you we you need to have online presence um in this day and age even if people aren't or can't buy your brand online they they will be looking online whether it's on your social media or uh, on your website before they make purchases in store so it can't be ignored or be you know be feared uh, it needs to be faced into um and anyone can do it you know with with no big budgets um out of their you know that honestly out of their kitchen so 
that that is kind of the myth myth I like to bust to, to bust. Yeah, a bit I, of a build on. I think I think you're right because like it's not like typical typical brand building. Like on e-commerce, you can essentially do an iterative process, like build as you grow. Um, anyways, like so one other thing that we like deeply care about and we uh, like think about a lot inside our company is like the role of pricing in e-commerce. Um, yeah. To build a profitable business, actually, we uh, I I had I had read a McKinsey paper uh, from long time back, which says that if you can keep your customers, like you can sell the same amount of inventory, uh, but increase your price by one percent, you can actually increase your bottom line or profit margins by eight percent. So that's how important pricing is. Um, yeah. In commerce, uh, so. What are your thoughts about pricing in e-commerce? What are what are the things that you what are the principles by which you kind of see this? I, I think it's a really important point because profitability is the biggest challenge for this channel. Obviously, because of the you know all the costs we have to incur to distribute, etc. So, I feel like for me with pricing on e-commerce, firstly your 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 kind of pricing strategy is completely dependent on the shopper mission on that e-commerce let's say platform um or website so just really get into the shopper mindset for example a marketplace amazon lazada shopee type buyer is a much more bulk buy everyday low value um you know subscribe and save buy more save more type uh, pricing principle pricing approach strategy versus if you're on a quick commerce platform like a you know panama grab get here, Deliveroo, it's a lot less a price sensitive mission. If people wanted value, they would be going to their local, you know, cheapest supermarket, or they'd be buying on Amazon to receive in five days. They want then convenience. So do not throw money at promotions in a channel where consumers aren't actually so price sensitive. So I think firstly, it really depends on the shopper mission. And it's not one that fits all with e-commerce. It just really gets the mindset of how people are shopping and why they're shopping from you. And, and then the second piece, I think, for me with e-com, which is so different to the typical rules of the game for pricing in store, in bricks and mortar store, on e-com, it's, again, all about visibility. So if you're talking in a context, if you're on an e-com, like a retailer, um, what will give you visibility? So, for example, we know on, like, a Shopee or Lazada, they have certain, like, voucher mechanics or events, like 11.11 or packages that you can get involved with on Redmart or on Amazon, they, they run certain deals for categories and events. So aligning your promotion to an unlock better visibility on homepage, on a category site or an event site or in a voucher pool is more important than being really cheap. Because I think you can have a great deal. If no one sees it, you're just burning cash. I, I don't see the point. So I'd say firstly, get into the head of the shopper mission and build your pricing strategy around that. It'd be very different for every different type of e-com platform. And then then think about leveraging promotion for visibility. Because if you have promotion but no visibility and consumers don't see your product, they're not, you're not on any kind of, you know, if people can't see you, then just stop because you're you're burning, you're you're burning profits. Um, and then get more into the skin of how do you drive visibility. Maybe your 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 investment is better spent on a marketing or paid search. So you're guaranteeing visibility. Um, but yeah. That'd be my kind of two pence on it. Cool, cool. So essentially, what you're saying is that pricing and like pricing in promotions uh, goes hand in hand with visibility, and yeah. and prioritization should be on visibility and then on 
promote promotions and discounts that you offer. Yeah, and, and then your pricing strat depends on the platform and the context. You you have a completely different strategy on Lazada versus Amazon versus Panama in a context of Singapore. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, depends on the shopper mission and, and the nature of the platform and how people use the platform. Cool, 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 cool. So, uh, I mean, we are here today in 2023, uh, uh, almost uh, six months in. So how do you... What do you see the future of e-commerce like in three to five years, according to you? I would say I don't think we will really continue to talk about it in such a silo. I don't think it'll be like e-com and it is just a blur. Like every all these bricks and mortar stores, if they haven't already, are having growing e-com presence. And e-com players like Amazon or not. Uh, grab, you know, are then growing their bricks and mortar presence. So this whole kind of ecosystem is just going to be one big blur. And shopping behavior already is, and I think will only continue to be a similar blur. You're online, you're on Instagram, then you're in stores. You, it's just this whole big kind of, I don't think it'll be so siloed. Um, I think it'd just be even more, less distinction made. I think e even the idea in future in like big FMCG corporations, I don't think you'll have like an e-com team. I think every single account manager, marketeer, will be having an, a holistic approach to on and offline being seamless. I think they have to, to win. So that would be my biggie. And then the other thing I think in terms of what it's going to do to the, you know, um, you know, five years or not, it's, it's kind of the things we've been saying, like with the rise of a younger shopper that ask why a lot more and with the rise of, you know, people being more digital, I just think it's going to give so much of a voice for smaller brands. Um, to to seriously disrupt the market, which previously they wouldn't because of the amount of, um, you know, big, big players having big share at retailers and having a big share of voice and potentially disproportionate to um, what the category really wants. So I think that it just will continue to shake up the game and really continue to um, kind of let the Davids punch, punch with the Goliaths more and more, um, mm. which I think is really exciting. So, yeah. Cool. So, according to you, uh, we in the future there is basically we'll be talking about commerce, and yeah. this is going to be yes. either either digital storefront or like a offline storefront eventually, and yeah. and small brands will have more leverage, uh, especially as the younger buyers like have more money to spend, uh, and uh, more of them come into the uh, like into that age where they can decide on what they want to buy yeah definitely it's exciting isn't it yeah pretty cool uh so like two final questions uh one uh is more around the fact that for a brand like yours does instagram work as a channel to acquire customers we i want to say yes but we're new and in terms of return on ad spend it's really tough for categories like ours with penetration like ours i think it has to work because we all spend and particularly the gen z millennial you know cohort spend so much time on instagram and it's becoming even more of a you know a realm for commerce like we, we have to win on insta um our presence people will be this is the first thing that people do when they you know hear a brand or um they they they, they go on the insta page and get a feel you know so it has to work even if it's a pre-awareness piece um 
trying to make it work from a paid social media perspective to currently earn profit is is really challenging um so i think you need to ask me that again in six months um but right now like we need a strong insta presence talking about our story um in line with our brand mission and we've got such a small following we want to pay um for you know pay to boost and pay to um get in front of um relevant cohorts i think what is important is that we're very specific on who we're targeting age demographic interests and and regional um kind of reach so not trying to be one size fits all others you, you will you will burn cash um, and making sure the content that we're serving on this platform is native to the platform i think that's another mistake that's made it's trying mm. to be addy we don't want to be addy we want to be i mean the, the content that we're serving on TikTok and in our TikTok and our instagram ads is funny meme style user generated um, native to platform so hopefully when you're scrolling it doesn't feel like an ad it feels like really treats that platform and and hopefully either informative or funny or something that that people that care about our brand might may care about that is at least our tactic but um yeah it's certainly tough to turn a profit with paid media on insta but i still think it has got a really crucial role uh, particularly for our demographic cool uh awesome so Essentially, yeah. Uh, uh, so this this final thing, right? So what we've heard is that Instagram is typically more helpful for uh, female buyers. Like essentially, you can target more female audience uh, on Instagram rather than male, and they are the more profitable category. Do you see these kind of trends already, or is this something that uh, doesn't work? Is not like true for your kind of business? I I need to look into the stats to be honest. Of the latest, like shift um we do have a slightly sort of 60 40 propensity currently to female to male um but i wonder whether that's to do with our brand mission and maybe it resonates with women more um and also we're so new that i kind of like don't want to make a call we, we still really want to target everyone so i mean i'm not i'm not sure as i say our main kind of media mix on social right now is tiktok and insta TikTok is much more of an awareness piece and we're not really looking conversion there and then Instagram getting a little bit further down the funnel looking at consideration and conversion um but yeah at the moment we're not we're, we're it's almost too we're too new to say but we do see a slight we do see a slight skew to answer your question cool cool uh, actually I had many more questions but I think uh, uh we, we are uh like uh we have a uh, hard cut off on the time otherwise uh, i'll be reprimanded so uh, thanks a lot uh, for joining us uh, here and like a lot of cool like I, I genuinely like love the discussion and trying to understand from an operator what they are going through and how you think about things uh, it's pretty cool um, thank and you